Saturday. What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome back to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcon's Time to Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Hey, 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 hey. And freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. Hello, hello. This is the only episode before World War Three breaks out. Let's hope not. Let, let's hope not. Yes, it's yeah. been a very difficult time watching news in reality as it seeps in. Mm-hmm. We are not foreign policy or uh, conflict commentators. We are here to talk about films, being generally lighter. I'm sure we will see films in the coming years of what we're seeing in the news these weeks. For sure. Even if not directly, we can't not reflect the times we live in. And uh, I don't know. I feel like international cinema has been getting a little bit more interesting the last few years as the world's been falling apart more and more. So uh, here's to more good art. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, uh, look, we are seeing them play out on TikTok and social media. So there's a lot to draw from when eventually they do make, I'm sure, many films about this. Did you guys ever see the film Donbass from a few years ago? No. Yeah. Yeah. It was on my radar, but I didn't catch it. But um. Yeah, how was that? It's pretty bleak, mm. uh, but that's expected. But uh, I like it. It's still pretty dry. Mm. So I, I saw this, the subject matter. I think the treatment was such that it had to be dry, probably. That was the it, intended uh, impact. Right. This is a Ukrainian film about the 2014 events. Yeah, yeah. 2014 invasion. That's and, well, yes. And speaking of, you're only just finished this weekend, but Europa Reopa, which we were going to talk about a little bit. For the first time, there is a film festival dedicated to European film. Now, to be very clear, there's a number and of European festivals cinema. That, that play European mm. films, and there are a number of film festivals dedicated to particular countries or regions in Europe, like the Polish Film Festival, Australia, the Czech and Slovak Film Festival, Spanish, Italian, British, mm. etc. Not that England is part of Europe anymore, but um, it's nice that this festival can focus in on Ukrainian films and other films for, for countries that traditionally have their own dedicated festivals That's right. in Australia. And in the programming, they seemed to be trying to be fairly equitable in representing all the different parts of Europe, as opposed yeah. to what making maybe a more commercial festival focusing on Western European films might have done. And it, it was actually a very well-curated lineup. But um, yeah, I, I have to um, put out there before we roll too far into this episode, uh, it, there's some episodes to catch up on that have just dropped, which uh, will take you back in time to December uh, 2021, the last time we were working on Film Fight Club and before. Uh, how, how do I put this? I think I got a little bit haywire. Decisions that made sense at the time made sense at the time. Um, so uh, finally, I uh, finished up the last two episodes of Film Fight Club. Um, yeah, if you want to hear what we thought about what was the, yeah, the Matrix? I've got, Dune. we did Matrix Dune, Power of the Dog. Yeah. Uh, we talked a little bit about French Dispatch, a little bit, and Spider Man was the other big one. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if you're curious about our thoughts on those ones, give it a listen. Anyway, yeah, good to be yeah. back with you. It's good to be back. It's good to have everyone back. It's nice to see folks in person. Good to, good to be uh, alive. Uh, yeah. Just to note, as we always do at the outset, festivals that are upcoming or happening, uh, the Queer Screen Mardi Gras Film Festival is currently screening now and is screening until... One more night. Tomorrow's the last night. Yes, tomorrow's the last night. Only one more night. Um, Ongoing, we also have the Allianz Francais French Film Festival, which kicked off this week in Sydney and around the country, and also the Jewish International Film Festival, which uh, kicks off tomorrow night in Sydney and runs through for a month. So a lot of films to catch at those, and uh, we'll be bringing you updates with more festivals and happenings. Mm. In this episode, we're just going to catch up. We're going to talk about some things we've seen, things that are happening in the film world, um, mm. a couple of things we've loved over the summer. But to note first, um, 
actually, I'll just I'll wrap on SF3 before we talk about the big local film news of the week. Um, they're into their seventh year. It's phenomenal, the quality. Um, I think as Chris noted, uh, when we had a deep discussion with SF3 a year back, it has an amazing ability to bring both very experienced filmmakers who have access to amazing resources and want to experiment with filmmakers who are looking to break out. There was an Oscar winner who participated in this year's event, including a number of uh, persons who were first-time filmmakers or emerging filmmakers. And also it's accessible to a lot of people who are under 18. Uh, the under 18 segment happened at the Actors Center. I was there for One Punch, which was a phenomenal film out of Melbourne and Coburg. It was filmed last year amidst um, amidst the events of COVID. So a lot of actors who might not traditionally have been in Melbourne were in Melbourne and were available for this film, very talented performers. And it really shows through in this production. It was very, it was quite an authentic film about the underworld of Melbourne, about loan sharks and persons who deal in the drug world. And I hope it gets a, a release generally and gets more traction in the festival circuit. So well done on a fantastic weekend. And we also went to Kino last night, Kino Sydney. So a lot of good films there. Yeah, good to see people still being creative amid the pandemic. Good stuff. Yeah, there'll be many more keynotes happening throughout the year. Uh, there's a list up on the keynote page, one happening roughly every month, a keynote cabaret, a filmmaking week-long event happening pretty soon, and the Philmonic Melbourne equivalent of keynotes happening in the first week of April. Mm. Yeah. So uh, since we last recorded an episode, the Oscar nominations have come out. Any thoughts? Well, I want to flag first the big annoying thing is that even more of the technical categories have been relegated to not the main broadcast yeah it's so pretty shameful it forces me to care less and less about the oscars each year but i did like that a very good film we saw at the city film festival at the end of last year flea has made history being nominated for best animated film best documentary and best feature well deserved i think it's a great film i'd be curious to see if and what it wins it may not win anything because the way the voting there's, works and there's some strong competition Encanto yeah. seems to be a, a becoming a frozen like cultural phenomenon at the moment. So I feel like that might be unbeatable for best animated feature. Encanto, I think uh, it, it might be lock in for best song, definitely, because uh, we don't talk about Bruno. Going off. Really blown up, gone off. And actually- it's You can let it go. Yeah, it's, it's actually a wonderful song. So, I mean, mm. it's, it's, it, it deserves to be a cultural phenomenon. It's right. also talking about some uh, things which wouldn't be discussed in a children's song per mm. se. So it's, it's quite a mature song for that audience. It's on TikTok, that movie. Right. What you were saying about <laughs> yeah, right. um, the categories being moved from the main broadcast to the a pre-show so that they can be chopped down into a few little, you know, brief highlight reel bits so that they can squeeze in, as was said in the announcement letter, more of the skits, comedy and, monta and uh, montages of film or whatever. In other words, the filler, it just shows such a complete lack of understanding. They say they say that they're doing this because they want to bring back the you know the mainstream audience that they've lost. But those people are never going to care about the Oscars. That time of the Oscars being a mainstream phenomenon is over. Focus on the people who care about film, and they get annoyed by the filler. They want to just see the humanity of a person who doesn't usually get their time in the spotlight, like a production designer coming up in front of a bunch of celebrities and being given the respect of three minutes of time to give a speech. It's a beautiful thing, right? That's that's why I enjoy watching the Oscars, despite all the times I trash it. There's something nice about that. It's the best thing about the Oscars, arguably, and they're cutting it away. I think the Academy needs to take a call, right? It's it's come to a point in a cultural phenomena where there are certain groups of people who will never care about what the Oscars are going to say. Not anymore. Uh, especially when uh, popular film, which is doing the bare minimum, is raking in so much money. 
they're not really popular film in terms of whatever is the most popular film in terms of certain categories is never going to be a film which is going to be technically brilliant. There is a level of technical laziness that have been come to be expected out of popular filmmaking. And Marvel. that is something, without calling it Marvel, we, we, we call, are sort call of- Let's call it Marvel, but it's not just Marvel. I think- No, but they, to... they do bring pretty low technical standards given how much money they're playing with. So, so there is definitely a wide gap between people who think what mainstream cinema is, which is also, I mean, talk about that Twitter thread about Oscar's fan favorite, which is uh, just a toxic place of the movie culture internet, which is trying to push a more mainstream narrative of like, why don't we, why don't, why don't the Oscars recognize more mainstream movies? Well, that time of what the mainstream audience thinks should be popular versus what actually has some kind of quality in terms of technical filmmaking that divide is so stark right now, what people think should be popular versus what is technically brilliant. Uh, I don't think that audiences can actually overlap. So the Oscars need to take a call whether they need to curate a program, which is for the cinephiles like us, mm. who actually want to see technical filmmakers being honored and given their due versus trying to get more mainstream attention by doing, you know, I think fill, that ship, that fill ship content of film comedy. Yeah. And the film, nobody likes the film content. But there's, I think it's so much worse than that. There's a feeling where it's such an industry-based awards. The people who vote fairly are very esteemed and very ingrained within the industry. So there's a feeling, not that they so much award the best film, but that you pay your dues, which has two ne very negative effects with the Oscars. And it's only been ingrained, I feel, even more in the past 20 years. One, that you can't do it if you're a first or second time filmmaker, even if the film is better than what the other directors or producers or whatever craft you're doing, you have done. But if you have won recently, even if you have a film that is good or better than what you did previously and better than everything else this year, there's a feeling that and it's, there's a few exceptions, but it's very rare that they would reward or acknowledge that. It's a frustration with the Oscars. There's also, I think, a feeling that in order to even qualify, there has to be a certain level of prestige and technical craftsmanship in a way that is not necessarily good, but it looks like it has thrown money at it. The idea that something that's made for $100,000 could beat something that's made for $100 million is anathema to the culture of the Oscars, which I think is really destructive because why can't something with a really good script, really good performance, it's just executed really well, it's well, made in someone's things... backyard, beat something that was a Marvel film shot on a massive soundstage? Well, part of the reason is that things that are really good shot in someone's backyard usually lead to that person working at an uh, Oscar-level production budget pretty quick. <laughs> Yeah. You know, there's not, there's not, yeah. but they get the so awards for that, yeah. not for the other. Sure. We, but... we, we, we're talking about what's the film? Um, he's doing a new film with um Dakota Johnson. He made the college film last oh, year. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Cha Cha Real Smooth. I've yeah, forgotten the guy's right name. Off. He yeah. made the film was called um Freshman Year. Freshman Year, great stuff. House. So that's not going to win anything. But what he does next probably will. Could yeah, exactly. Um, it's got a massive deal with Apple. I think they paid 15 million for yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so yeah, we could see the potential when we watched um, that film last year. It was, as you say, a lot better than some of the films nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. Oh, God, this year, yes. To be honest, but the real story of the whole Oscars for me was the success of Drive My Car. When people started whispering that maybe this film could be a Best Picture contender, I thought, not no way. It's too slow and sophisticated for the Academy tastes, while being a foreign language film. You know, Parasite was a thriller. But Drive My Car seems to be connecting with everyone. Um, for the most part, the, the word of mouth from people who aren't you know, real film fans seems to be very strong. I'm really glad this movie's connecting with people. So it became the first Japanese film uh, nominated for Best Picture, Director, and Adapted Screenplay. I'll talk about my Oscar prediction in a sec. 
Mm. Um, just to note, however, just in terms of the, the cultural moment of the Oscars passing and other major issues, I still watch it every year, but I used to sit with friends every single year and watch the Oscars at a big party. The last time I did that was 2011. It was 11 years ago. And the reason is up until that point, you could usually get away with not having it ruined for you by social media or something else. Now, just because of the way the press works, it's just so saturated and it would be fine, except the Oscars are so much of a who's going to win, who's going to do it. So that moment of having those Oscar parties, especially in the times when we live in, it's passed, unfortunately. But a lot of the hardcore fans will still watch. Not that I'm a hardcore fan, but it is of interest because it is the industry leader in terms of awards. In terms of who I think will win, I'm sorry to say my prediction is actually that I think Don't Look Up will win. That's not to say I think it's the best film. I don't. It's an interesting prediction, and you might be right. Yeah, my, my reasoning is that uh, it's very similar to what happened six years ago with Mad Max Fury Road and a couple of others being beaten out by Spotlight. Let's remember that the Oscars, it works like the Senate. It's runoff proportional voting. If there's no clear winner, it's first past 50% post and you get knocked. The film that gets the least votes will get knocked out and their preference is distributed. So in this case where there's no clear winner, it's really going to come down to who did the people, the films that got voted 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, who did they, those voters vote for second? I think in those, among those films, the King Richards and whatnot, Don't Look Up is going to be the consensus second, third pick. Yeah. And that Don't Look Up is going to scrape through, which is really disappointing. It's not a reflection and it's the best film, but I think that's the way it's going to go. Because it does seem to be a very close race this year. And I can't see a film like The Power of the Dog really winning Best Picture. No. Honestly. It's good. It's way no, too cold. No. It's way too it's cold. Good. And it's not like life affirming in the way that they like, or it's a heavy, weird film. Okay, hot take. I think West Side Story might win Best Picture. Maybe. I, th- I feel the, the problem that, is, that, that is, came uh, and the, went in a few days. There, there are two yeah. things. There are two the things. I think the, yeah, the industry loves it. B, there is a resurgence of Spielberg as an actual Auto. director who's, yeah, basically, who's always been doing crazy, amazing things, but suddenly people are realizing, hey, he's actually done pretty amazing things, and the way he shot West Side Story is really cool. There's been more adoration of Spielberg in the film community, whereas if you go back like 15 years, everyone was making fun of him in in the the cool circles. Munich 15 years ago. Why were people making fun of Munich? That film was awesome. I know, I know. Also, going back Mm -hmm. to the point that I think what Oscars are trying to do, they're trying to be a bridge between cinephiles and mainstream audiences. West Side Story is that film which probably can bridge that Mm -hmm. gap. Licorice Pizza could have been that film. It's much better than West Side Story. Uh, You think Licorice Pizza is much better than West Side Story? I think, Ooh, okay, and okay. I want to be, be very clear. This goes back to my review at the end of last year. Yeah. I judge this West Side Story based on the fact that the original, it, it, it hews a little too close. I don't think it's better than the original West Side Story. Mm-hmm. I think the second one is technically brilliant, but the style, the songs, the lyricism, everything is already so saturated in popular culture. The wow factor, the novelty, I feel is gone. I don't judge this film on its lonesome. And because I feel West Side Story is deliberately, Spielberg is drawing so much from nostalgia. Whereas Licorice Pizza, it's an original film which draws from um, nostalgia. More intrinsic <laughs> nostalgia elements. Let's be very clear about this. I know. West Side Story is drawing from nostalgia from an established, its own property. Sure. Licorice Pizza is trying to enable memories of a time and place that is gone. There's a yeah. distinction there. And I feel there's more interest in that approach for me. I agree. I like Licorice Pizza more, but I'm trying to think from an academy's perspective. I'll say, oh, no I question. Like, West Side Story is going to do better. I like Licorice wise. Pizza more, but judging West Side Story just on its own terms, not by much. I yeah. think they're both very good films. I, I think so too. Yeah. I think actually where Licorice Pizza has more flab in the middle, especially uh, in mm, terms absolutely. of meandering, yeah, the meandering kind of sequences where 
the the hustle for Cooper Hoffman's character gets a bit repetitive. Yeah. You kind of do feel like the film was losing track. West Side Story does have none of that. The actual momentum of the narrative carries the whole film through. Yeah. It actually got very little flack that way. The flab is, sorry, flab, not flack. I mean, yeah. Anderson's been making flabby movies since There'll Be Blood, you know, these very, like, me this meandering kind of style with an accumulation of events as opposed to a, a really directed narrative. No, I, Sometimes I thought, it works uh, better than others. I, I thought Phantom Thread had a very little flab. It, you're right, it did. Very precise, the master, very precise. The master and inherent yeah. bias both take the self-indulgent parts of There Will Be Blood and, and you of know, course, yeah. you could have cut further. There's something I didn't enjoy about There Will Be Blood, but you could have cut the whole thing with the brother. Yeah, I agree. Parts. Yeah. So that's uh, that the Oscars? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, King Richard and all, Macbeth, those are just, wh- why did they feel, why did they get nominated? What's the point? Now the nominated don't look up because it had DiCaprio and it's, a, and it's not about climate change, which we'll talk about later. How crazy is it that DiCaprio got nominated for Best Actor though? In, in He's no so way. lazy. The whole film. Yeah. Well, let's, do our de- let's do a dedicated look at Don't Look Up later. The whole film is lazy. I mean, okay. Yeah. But also the Best Actor category is clearly set up for Benedict Cumberbatch to win. It is. Because none of the other performances are very good. In fairness. Oh, Javier Bardem and Ben Ricardo's. What a terrible performance that was, honestly. Uh, look, it, it is Cumberbatch's best performance to date. Mm. So yes. I think I'm fine if he wins. But that's well the easiest category for me to call. I'm not conflicted in that category at all. Like I can't see anyone else close to Cumberbatch in this performance in the in the nominations. So it's a good thing. Outside of the uh, Oscar talk, what have we enjoyed recently? You know, it's been a while since we've spoken to you. There've been some gaps. What have we seen? What have we liked? I've actually yes. been watching a lot of TV. Um, yeah. I hopped into the Pam and Tommy series, the Boba Fett. I saw the Tinder Swindler, and I'm watching yeah. Inventing Anna. Uh, Tinder Swindler is one of those where there was enough content for about an hour, but it went to two. Typical uh, the subject matter was. Inventing Anna and Tinder Swindler are actually a nice double because yeah, they, yeah. they, they approach similar subject matter. Inventing Anna is just a little too polished. It's just a little too yeah. refined. It needs to be a little more scrappy to just get the aesthetic of the world that both the journalist was in and of the main character they were trying to profile. You saw Benedetta? Have we all seen it? I've yes, seen it. Yeah. We've all seen yeah. it? Yeah. Good yeah. God. Yes. It's out now. It is, it's yeah. So great. Yeah. Did you like it, Virat? Uh, yeah. I I, I thought. Uh, I'm with Virat. I thought it was good, yeah. but yeah. I thought it was a major step down from L and Black Book in terms. Oh of- yeah, definitely. Oh, no, it's I mean- not nearly as good as L, and not nearly nearly as good as Black Book. It premiered at Europa Europa as in cinemas now. You can catch it at Dendi Cinemas everywhere. And I, uh, yeah. it's New Paul Verhoeven. It, it's about lesbian a lesbian nun and uh politics yeah. of uh, the the nunnery and it's a very... covid like yeah, incidentally it... it's about the plague entering the plague it's, I, I feel it was filmed before pre it was filmed pre covid it's unintentional yeah it wasn't exploitative i know a lot of people like sexy nun movie it must be exploitative. it wasn't, it wasn't. super exploitative there's bits yeah. where like the scene set up to you know like okay let's have a shot of her standing with like her breasts looking nice but okay so what like i personally don't think Okay, straight white male coming yeah. through. I don't personally think it's a problem if you, in an artistically respectful way, and everyone's on board with it, aim to do something like that. Like, let's just glorify the female body. Benedetta it's doesn't understand that kind the of narrative. So, it's still I, 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 to function in the narrative. It could be done more tastefully, which is in this yeah. case is a stupid term, but it's not problematic. It seemed to be something everyone was on board with. Some people are trying to take this film to task at the moment. I'm just putting it out there that I don't think it does anything. It's yeah, really it's, a it's agreed. It's and not, Paul Verhoeven's films are generally, I'll, I'll generally classify Verhoeven's films in that category. Yeah. Hmm. 
yeah, but it's not basic instinct. I mean, the, no. those sequences aren't there gratuitously. Or yeah, much. basic instinct, I would say, crosses the line. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's been, I need to rewatch basic instinct. I, As does Hollow Man, actually. Way too. Those two Hol- Hollow, Hollow Man does. Hollow Man. Basic instinct has se- a new 4K with, restoration, actually. Um, so, there's, there's a scene yeah, where he goes into the person's house, he breaks into oh, a yeah. house, and it's just very, very gratuitous. Um, yeah. Basic instinct, it's been too long. I have to rewatch it. But uh, Benedetta's basically a soap opera. It's pitched right at the edge of serious and silly. I couldn't really connect. I mean, that's a major problem with the film. The sequences, and there are many of them, where really her, you know, real connection with Jesus and Mm. and how she feels Jesus is actually, she's communicating with him or he's communicating with her. Uh, Stigma is what you're referring to. Yeah, those sequences didn't really connect with me. Not like in Silence, for example, which features similar material. Yeah, this Mm. felt... I, I know what Verhoeven was going for, this kind of out-of-body experience. Because, yeah, he wants you to really feel, and I think you're right, he wants you to connect with her spiritual transformation in some way, even as he's also yeah. questioning it. But the emotional resonance isn't there because I don't feel like it, it's really yeah. it felt that felt pitch, by Verhoeven. Maybe that's the, the actual the, the actual pitching of those scenes was so off that they felt so jarring in a film mm. that was trying to be this low-key, tension-filled thriller mm. and how mm. it was unfolding. And they, these scenes were like elevated to 11 and then i'm like okay wow where did they where did these scenes suddenly come from i think there were two issues there one is that i think the main actress uh, was very good but i don't think she was on the level that i think hoven wanted to be able to convey that in the way that garfield who i think is a much better performer could mm. in the roughly equivalent scenes in silence yeah the other thing is for lack of a better term dreamlike sequences were deliberately so much more lo-fi and mm. it's fine. I don't think it was a budget. It wasn't a budget thing. It was clearly intentional. And if a bit of both. Con- but if, if you're trying to convey that this is the most true, realistic, emotional element, the artifice shouldn't have been so present. It yeah. should have felt more authentic and natural. And I think that was a misstep for the film. I'm really keen to see Malik's Jesus movie, which maybe yeah. will come out this year. Hell we'll yeah. see. Just yeah. because yeah. it should be touching on similar material with uh, scenes of talking to God and the devil. Really I think I, th- I thought he already kind of made his uh, film with the last one with the the person who was oh the world uh, yeah that was conscientious that was a Jesus movie objector. that was a Jesus yeah, the- movie and now he's he's cutting out the subtext going straight to the point <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but, I thought um, I thought he already made his Jesus movie and I was like what yeah, yeah. well it's interesting because Verhoeven's Jesus movie that he wants to make see it all ties together sounds in some ways similar to Malik's movie because. Uh, I, I doubt it'll be, it won't be as fixated on the last part in the suffering, but Verhoeven wants to show how G- Jesus as a political figure showing opposition to the cruelty of the Roman Empire. Look, I think Terence Davies has already made the best Jesus movie, which is Benediction. Uh, I haven't seen it yet, so yeah. I'm keen to see it soon. It's out in cinema. Very, very, very good. Okay, a couple of things I've seen recently that I've really enjoyed. One of them is coming to cinemas soon, and one of them you've probably missed out on, sorry, until it's on video. But yeah, Red Rocket, the new film from Sean Baker, I thought went really under the radar compared to how good it was. I thought it was almost as good as The Florida Project, which broke through with a bunch of uh, Oscar nominations. And I, I was surprised. I thought I thought Simon Rex could have got a Best Actor nom. He easily could have. I think the movie yeah. is perceived as being too trashy and dealing with material that's too problematic for this. He, he was better. He was better than Javier Bardem. He was better than DiCaprio. He, he was, was arguably than... as good as Benedict Cumberbatch. It's a different sort of yes. performance, but I 100% bought him, and he show, shows real range and degrees of emotional depth. The whole film is fun and repulsive and entertaining, while also carrying a lot of emotional depth. 
making points about America politically and socially without being preachy. It's a great character study as Sean Baker has been refining as his form for a while. Yeah, really good. I also really liked the souvenir part too. If you uh, go back a few years at Sydney Film Festival, we saw the first one and I thought it was all right. I wasn't that impressed by it, but I recommend even if you felt like I did to rewatch that film and then see the souvenir part two. It pays off some very minute details in the souvenir. And for that reason, it makes sense that it's being programmed together whenever it shows at film festivals. They want the two films to be seen as one. And uh, it makes sense because the, the quirks of the first movie make total sense seeing it as part of the greater package. I found it, it's actually a very moving exploration of processing grief and of filmmaking. And uh, it, it's of a line of a lot of films that have come out of the zeitgeist recently, like um, The Hand of God and also Pain and Glory in terms of some of the ways it treats filmmaker autobiographical material. But yeah, it's a much more engaging and emotionally direct film than the first souvenir. Um, I th it's easier to warm to and uh, the whole package is great. So I think that's out in a week or so yeah. in cinemas. It's 10th of March, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really strongly recommend you seek it out. So I was actually down with COVID to start the year and thankfully Sundance was being uh, done virtually. So they was co coinciding with me being down with COVID and, and isolating. So I had nothing to do but watch sundance films, which sometimes can be hit and miss. But I really feel this year Sundance was one of the strongest in recent memory. And a couple of films that I'd like to highlight, firstly is Navalny, which was the audience award winner, which is a documentary about Navalny, aka Putin's uh, opponent in Russia, and how he tracks down people who tried to poison him earlier in 2020. Wow. So this whole documentary is actually about him trying to contact people who tried to poison him and try to catch them on camera. Fascinating wow. stuff, uh, very incriminating. Uh, and yeah. when this documentary yeah, actually comes out, amazing. given that what's happened, it would be like... Yo, yeah, this movie's going to go off. This will go off. I feel like this uh, is going to be playing at every Dendi and Palace. HBO Max has already picked it up. It should be okay. out sometime. Given how the events have transpired after that, I could not foresee that this would be so prevalent and actually so important. But given uh, the incriminating evidence there in the film that directly links the Kremlin to some of the activities, this film mm -hmm. actually would be very interesting. I would, yeah, I think this is a film to watch. And the other one would be Chacha Real Smooth, which is the sophomore feature by who did freshman year. And he follows it up with a brilliant film, which is very touching. Uh, once again, coming of age film, but actually gets into the zeitgeist of what growing up today feels like with, and you kind of don't realize what growing older means and how terrible that can be. And, you know, still, it's still a hangout movie, but more sincere and with more depth. Talks about depression, talks about real issues, but in a very sincere way. Sounds Beautiful. great. And sounds like it. I, I, I said last year, I'm going to yeah. see what this guy does next. And he's made something. So cool. yeah, yeah. Like the great, or something. And sounds like a great yes. next step from what so, the first so, one was doing. So his, his career option is to be a bar mitzvah party starter, basically. Mm. So he wants to start parties at bar mitzvah and, and that's his actual career goal. Uh, and he does that, that for, cool. a, for a living. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a cool, cool premise. I'm, I'm up. I'm down for it. Let's talk now about the big local film news of the week, which is Film Club, not Film Fight Club, Film Club in Darlinghurst, yeah. Darlinghurst Road. Uh, they were not able to find a proprietor and are closing down in a couple of weeks. We met there last week. Um, you can go say hi to the guys, see the last great DVD store, and they are selling everything. Uh, there's everything's going for five. Well, there's not an ad. I'm saying generally go and 
get some great films. It has some cool people. I can tell you all the underworld films have gone. I've taken those, <laughs> but there's a lot of other amazing collections. There was quite a, uh, the Kubrick and Hitchcock collections, a uh, Fellini, the logo of Fellini's there. There's, there's literally thousands of DVDs. Five amazing. Yeah. I, I'm still surprised how so much of the stuff is still there. Like I thought it would be gone before I could, I made three trips already, got about 50 movies and still, I could still find stuff, which I still wanted to get. Mm-hmm. So go while you can, uh, soak in the vibe while it's still there. Um, I, we don't know what that place is going to be. It might not be at all film related. It's been an institution. It was nice just running into dedicated film fans, just scouring the shelves for their favorite movies. I found stuff that I, I got a good mix. Like It's like when you go to a video store. I found some stuff I loved. I found stuff I hadn't seen. I found some random ones that was rec- were recommended to me. And mm. I'm going to miss it. It's, but there are uh, a lot during COVID. All during, during the last couple of years. It's really going to be missed. They offered a lot of films that you can't see otherwise in Australia legally. And on top of that, even just for seeing films that you could see via a streaming service, there's something different about the way that videos and seeing the spine of it and having that physical presence alters how you browse. You know, there is something more personal about it. There is something that's perhaps more open to random discovery. And um, it's a shame to lose the last best video store in Sydney. Don't know, Val. Ian and the crew. Should we talk about Don't Look Up? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's the new Anna McKay film stream on Netflix. Uh, there was a it was a big thing for a couple of weeks. We just wanted to touch on it briefly because Netflix has is most very watched film ever. Right. Really? And yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'll wow. check that. Okay. So we had, I think, actually three quite distinct views on this. I may be a little closer to Chris, but mm-hmm. it, it is a film about two persons played by Leonardo DiCaprio, astrophysicists, and Jennifer Lawrence, who discover that a comet is heading to Earth tell the president and her chief of staff as her son played by Meryl Streep and Joan Hill respectively and people do not react with the immediacy they should Mark Rylance plays a tech media mogul and while I think this is important a lot of the commentary about this both meta by the filmmakers and with between reviewers and the press has been about how this is about climate change it's important that there is actually no direct reference to climate change in this it is a more direct analogy to how the press operates and how yeah, we do not a, act urgently because we, we get oversaturated yeah we see too much of something and they're not listening to scientists and the misinformation campaigns when money is in the way it's definitely inspired by climate change, but there were some rewrites during the pandemic, which apparently made the film more over the top in, and uh, in, in the satire and more arch because Adam McKay thought things were happening that were even stupider than how he could predict. So the film had to ratchet up the comedy and be more in your face. This is yeah. caused the downfall of the film with critics who were saying that the comedy is just too blunt and too over the top. Perhaps they would have liked the earlier version better. I kind of see where Mackay is coming from. I'm not going to say that this movie is not too over the top, but in some ways it felt like it was meeting the present moment head on. Yeah. We've you know what else lab did? times and the movie made sense. You know what me. did 50 years ago? Network. Network was also over the top and crazy, less so now, mm-hmm. but it was grounded in genuine fear. And that's what satire is. It yeah. is it's supposed to be exaggerated. It was appropriately so. I like mm. the last 20 minutes of this a lot. Um, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit in soon about the performances because that's a major aspect of it but too. I like this film a bit less. I think a part of it is that it's on the nose, which is fine. But I think that takes away from the impact of the point that it's trying to make at, at, in those moments. And mm. I feel like sometimes the joke is less about, you know, trying to make a point and it's more about trying to be smug. Which yeah, is a problem the, with Adam McKay in general. Yeah. Which I feel this, 
the smugness gets in the way of actually trying to be sincere about the point he's trying to make. Sometimes, look, it, it just rubs me the wrong way. And that was within Kate Blanchett's character. That was also how Meryl Streep's as, as a president is, is sort of characterized. When everything is taken for a joke, there's no sincere moment in the film. And I know the film is trying to somehow bring up this world where this world is like that, where everything mm. is played up for a joke. Yeah. But when, you, when the film itself lacks any sincerity in its world building, then well, you kind of feel like the only point of the film is being smug. I see, I disagree with that. I think that there's definitely a smugness, you could say a reductiveness in so, how some of the characters were being portrayed. But I thought, fine, it's an SNL type of comedy. It's not trying to be subtle. Um, and we live, we've lived through some really dumb, loud, blunt things in recent years. So even if this is one-sided, and even I, the SNL I accepted it. I thought, sure, why not? Like this, this makes sense as a reaction to right now. But on that note, though, I disagree that the film lacks any kind of um, sincerity. I think uh, actually in some, uh, there's a quite lovely scene towards the end of noticing the comet in the sky for the first time, which I don't know, that, that moment as well as some, as Glenn referenced earlier, the closing 20 minutes, there was enough sincerity in there for me to think that this isn't just an exercise in showing how much smarter we are than our political opponents. That's just part of it. All right. I, in terms of the smugness, the only real bit I found that was really smug was the bits where they were, it was trying to be clearly analogous to Donald Trump. And unfortunately, the moment for that, yes, he's still a presence on the world stage, but the part where that was going to be searing and really relevant has passed. They were clearly doing a Trump analogy. Uh, it's not as fun now. I appreciate the issues are still ever present. The problem for me is the humor escalated. It started at a relievable register, like most good sad eyes do, and then gets further and further more extreme as the events of the film are escalating. I think a huge problem with this film was that a lot of the meta commentary around it was about how there was a comment by McKay, how you have to believe in climate change in order to appreciate this film. And I, I take the death of the author approach. There's no reason that you have to bring those elements into it. The film should be and sure. can be enjoyed on its own. The media I, aspects that are, um, were, were interesting. Chris? It's like Darren Aronofsky's comments on Mother, like saying you must interpret it this way. The, you don't own how the film is going to be read once you release it into the world. Your perspective is interesting, but you can't say audiences must take it this way or else you're a failure. And I'm fine with the comic register the film was going at. The only actor I think that was actually good in this was Mark Rylance. He was wonderful. He was oh, no he was misstep. Um, he, he And he was the most outrageous extreme, but he kept that he always knew the right tone. Yeah. I, I think the others, honestly, this is a terrible thing to say about very good actors like DiCaprio and, and Lawrence, but they were both just lazy. And even, Lawrence was okay, but it's not, it's not, she wasn't asked to do much. DiCaprio was, was lazy. She was, they were coasting to a great yeah. degree. So was Blanchett, honestly. I think her yeah. role could have been removed from this entirely. It was just a, it was a thematically irrelevant aspect to the film. And I feel like there's a trend with Blanchett. You sometimes get like that, where did you go, Bernadette is another one, where she does these two character-y, you know, almost smug in her performance kind of roles. And uh, this is another one of those. There were too many pause for emphasis, pause for let it sink in, pause for last. And let me be very clear. I don't mind if a film pauses to let everything sink in and you to absorb things. Um, Tchaikovsky is a classic example. There are many films that do it that have quieter and heavier moments. Mm -hmm. It's literally paused to let you know that this is when you should think about these issues, when you yeah. should learn something. And that just overtook the pacing. It overtook what should, every film should be about, which is just pure enjoyment. And that's why I love Last Three Minutes, because it only was sincere, but the post credit stuff was genuinely great. And the film was over by that point. So didn't care, and it was just let's actually 
do something that's memorable. And I wish the film had operated at that register throughout. I, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head, Glenn. I really agree with you about the register of the film and how it's not operating at the right register. Because I really feel, take the outbursts that happen in the film. There are very clear outbursts by DiCaprio and Lawrence's characters that happen, which are just serving the point to punctuate this is what the problem is. The film is already quite on the nose by that point. If those sequences are just meant to then underline and highlight about this is exactly, in case you missed it, the point is this, it just turns me off. And I felt really, really like, I don't want a film to tell me exactly what it's about. How good was the big short where it, it did that in parts, but it did it in a way that was entertaining. Yeah, I mean, I'd much prefer if Margot Robbie's in a, in a bathtub and telling well, me about finance. But the, I'm not even referring to those scenes. Um, I, yeah. I think he was deliberately tr- trying to be a little more divisive with this film in, again, the meta-commentary, whereas the big short, again, it's different subject matter. It's playing more on issues of class, um, more universal, I, I, I think, recognition, and, and not recognition is the wrong word, uh, the more universal relatability to what the film was trying to say. So it worked there. Vice. Um, unfortunately, climate change is a very divisive Vice. issue and it just didn't, and- I, I, like the, I like the big short more, definitely. This oh, film, this is his best film, no question. Vice is extremely preachy. When you're talking about this- uh, here's what it, Let's not produce Phantom, okay? Right, but yeah, it is, you're right, actually. Um, but yeah, on both counts. Vice shows uh, everything you were talking about to the nth degree. Vice is like, stop for a moment to recognize how bad Dick Cheney is via Jesse Plemons giving a speech. Like, yeah. geez, guys, and like, yeah. But, but maybe that's his style, so, so, you know, you know, it's- it is And to whatever it. extent that's it's the about- thing. Don't Look Up has more recognizable humanity, even as sketch-like as the characters may be, than Vice. There were moments of humanity in Vice, but as a whole, whole it was too much like portrait of a villain, you know, like, okay, and, and, we know, you know what? The, the comet, it's, I, I see why it's analogous to climate change, but it's actually a pretty poor analogy for climate change and the threat, the, the way that climate level, change poses a threat. I had that kind of uh, response when I heard about the premise of this, about like, well, no, climate change is sort of invisible in a way that the comet isn't. But I, in actually watching the film, appreciated it as just a story that reflects dumbness as opposed to a direct analogy of climate change. It reflects some of the dumbness of recent political discourse um, and, I agree. Uh, I, I got the point. The way fact, things I, that should be completely non-divisive can become divisive. And on that level, I, mean, I appreciate it. And I appreciate yeah. the multi-level approach showing media interactions with journalists, inter, you know, interactions with politicians, interactions with scientists to show how uh, the I, sense gets I lost. Mean, I, I appreciate the through line that something which can be obvious can be so muddled up that it needs to be presented with different sides when, it, yeah. when different sides do not necessarily exist. Yeah. But we need to keep it light or we need to present both sides of the argument when necessary. We need to keep up conflict, you know, yeah. and the tech industry benefits in some way. Like, as a broad, broad kind of satire. The, I, so I think as, as a broad premise, I like it. But the execution is so, it's mm-hmm. so grating that, you know, it's like, oh, you ha- this is how it is and you have to like this. And I'm just like, well, uh, yeah. And, that, and that's what that makes me feel. You don't have to like it. It's don't look up. It's streaming on Netflix forever. Yeah, I, I I think I liked it the most of the three of you. I still don't think it's a brilliant film, but a sarcastic satire that presents a resigned worldview just made sense to my current feelings of cynicism, I guess. But you, um, yeah, but but that's the thing. I don't, it, I don't, I, don't sorry, make I, sure you watch past the credits because it's the uh, it's got the film's best payoff. Yeah, well, it, there's actually it starts a little bit after there's the credits a mid-credits, start, which is unfortunate, but please do make sure you watch the credits. There's a mid-credit scene, which is funny, and then there's a post-credit scene that really should have been cut. 
Anyway, agreed. Uh, it is too long and a little bit creaky in some of the individual scenes. You know, it's very broad, but it just matches yes. my worldview. So, Chris, what you're saying that you know it is cynical. Hmm. I agree, but I I think it's not as bleak as let's say the French Dispatch. No, the, yeah. The, the problem the problem is, and this is the problem which I'm facing with this. It's not as sincere as the French Dispatch. It's not trying to be resigned with this worldview. It's come in a bit place of anger and smugness. Mm. It's not come with a place of this is what the world is and we're resigned to our fate. Mm. So we all going to die. Ha ha. It's not doing that. It is trying to point fingers and shift the blame. Yeah. That well, I, these I think people it... are, these people are responsible for our fate. We should be angry at X, Y, and Z people. Yeah. Rather than accepting that humanity is all partaking in this weird satire, we're all kind of partially responsible, which technically a film yeah. which is self-aware should have really highlighted that rather than I mean, shifting the blame People are allowed to entirely. attack their opponents politically, though, even if uh, us say, I, know, but, I prefer but the Wes Anderson the, approach. Then that, then that just becomes propaganda. Well, how is it different to propaganda if you just single out your opponents as if saying, these people are the bane of our well, existence? Propaganda isn't inherently bad. Okay, all right. <laughs> that, it's, it's a it's, difficult it's, time it's, for me. It's there to serve a purpose, which is, I mean, it's there to serve the, the political interests of the filmmaker, right? There's no, I mean, no problem with making that kind of propaganda. But it's fine, but it should be incidental to the enjoyment, and this was yeah, yes. really partly so. Sure, that, that's what it all comes down to. Okay. Anyway, yeah. 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 Don't look up. Sorry. Don't look up, it's on that Maybe place. our next best picture. Yep. Oh We're, my God. Yeah, probably our <laughs> next best picture. Um, I don't think probably, but I think, I think you're in with the chance, Don. Oh my God. Uh, God help me. No. Next uh, next week, we get talking about The Batman, not Batman, the 89 film, The Batman, the new yeah. Reeves film. When I heard the, the title of this film, um, I thought it was another example of the trend of we've run out of titles, so stick a the or the full name in front of it, like John Rambo, the. So here's Batman, the. But um, no, having seen it uh, before these guys, now it just is my humble bragging, um, not so humble. Uh, I get it. It's the Batman. They've tried to make a Batman movie that matches everyone's expectations of Batman, and I think they've pulled it off. We'll talk about wow. it next week. Yeah. I'm wow. seeing it on Wednesday, okay. so although yeah. I should say we're seeing it later. I'm seeing it later tonight. Yeah. So it's yep. We're gonna talk about the Batman. Like we're in the schoolyard. Chris is like, I've seen Batman before. Yeah, you know. exactly. Much better than I expected. Uh, Apparently, the Catwoman is sexy, which is a, a big improvement. <laughs> no, well, I don't know of any Catwoman who haven't been sexy, but sure. I, well, I was I'm talking about this stuff next week, but to, but to expand on that, since you bring it up, there's a genuine feeling of like lust on screen between characters that's been scrubbed out of um, superhero movies usually. So that's refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, shout out to all the other Michelle Pfeiffer fans out there. I thought she was amazing. Mm. I love Batman Returns. I love it too. And talking more about movies, let us know what you want us to fight about. We're glad to be back. Stay safe. Watch some well. movies. Be well. This has been Glenn Falcons and Chris Evans and Rot Nehru. Enjoy movies and enjoy life. Good night. Bye. Good night. Bye.